Greetings, beautiful beings on planet Earth, and welcome to another episode of The Sacred Portal. I am your host, Abby Rose Wolf, and together we will journey through inspirational stories to ignite inspiration and passion within yourself. If you like this podcast, please share wildly, leave a message, send me some love on Instagram, Abby Rose Wolf, or Facebook. And if you could, please leave a review. Thank you so much. In this episode, I interview Brian Danzinger. Brian is a multi-talented, multi-faceted being on planet Earth, living in Green Bay, Wisconsin. He is so committed to building community, creating things that better the community. He works like 13 jobs or something and owns a few businesses. This man is so involved with the Green Bay community, I'm not even sure if he sleeps. I mean, I don't know if there's anything Brian can't do. He impresses and inspires me all the time. And this conversation is rich about community and leadership and stepping outside comfort zones and ways that we can get involved in the community like food drives and encouraging people to start businesses, art, so many things we can do to enrich the lives of the people who live in our community. And that's what this podcast is all about. So keep your ears and brainwaves tuned in to this magical journey we'll go on today with Brian and myself. Here we grow. Okay, welcome to the show, Mr. Danzinger. I'm so happy to have you on the Sacred Portal. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here and thank you for the opportunity to chat with you. And uh, I've heard some of your podcasts and you have some incredible guests and some incredible topics of conversation. So I'm honored to be part of that discussion. All right, cool. So today I'd like us to talk about community. I see you as kind of a community king, perhaps in the Green Bay area. And what got you so interested in being such a strong part of the community? Well, it really kind of stems from three areas. Uh, first of all, I think anybody that's really involved with community or has a passion for serving the community is somebody that's probably had the community helping him or her in some way in the past. So I think there's always this sort of desire to not just pay it forward, but pay back those individuals and those organizations that you know had such an instrumental and such a powerful impact on your life. Um, you know, I was very fortunate to uh, have a grandparent, uh, my grandmother, who uh, was a fantastic servant of the community, who was very, very involved with the community and sort of instilled that uh, mindset uh, in me very, very early. But more importantly, I saw the benefit of some of the community involvement. And if I can really quickly, you know, I know you mentioned being involved with the community. And I think, you know, we sort of narrow that definition to meaning, oh, that person must have to volunteer or that person has to serve on boards. And to me, and I love your opinion on this, to me, community involvement is more than just simply, you know, putting in the volunteer time or, or, or being part of the church. To me, community is just that full immersion 
where you recognize and make connections in the community that you know help bring people together, help you know form stronger neighborhoods, help uh, support small business, and, and build that culture of again community. So I, I know when you were saying that uh, you seem to be involved in the community, to me I view that as just simply being uh, out in the community. That to me is the rich part of community involvement. Oh, I love that so much. I love that so much. And oh, this this makes me think of something. So I I dabble in the alternative community quite a bit. And um, I find that it, it's interesting. Sometimes I think people create the separation where there's like people who live in the world and people who mm -hmm. live outside of the world. It's like, oh, I'm going to create my own kind of like community here. We're growing our own food. We're doing our own thing and all this stuff. Um, but we're not going to have anybody else in our little community, you know? And I think that's interesting because I, I see how people are comfortable with what they know and comfortable with people who are more like them. But I like to challenge people to get involved with it and make friends with somebody who's nothing like them. Because I think it's really important for us to recognize that not everybody's like us and doesn't operate the way that we do. And so to have these expectations and then going into the world and having these kind of reactions to people, I think it's it's not really true community is how I see it. But I was wondering if you have any recommendations for people who want to get more involved with the community. And actually just to talk about a little bit, do you think it's important to have diversity within community? Well, I appreciate the question. And, and before I get into that, I actually think it's great that you are looking beyond your own bubble. And I, I think there's a lot of value in that because just like you said, it's great to not only see those other perspectives, but one thing that I think is really valuable is it also reminds us how much we're connected and how much we actually do have similarities or how much we do share in terms of values. You know, you look at communities, you know, it could be political communities, it could be ethnic communities, it could be, you know, generational communities, whatever differentiation you want to use. But what I often find is we tend to have a lot more in common than we probably already understand, you know, um, sense of family, sense of uh, commitment to others, uh, how we all react to food. Uh, it's interesting, you know, uh, I have, I'd like to think like yourself, I have a pretty diverse range of uh, acquaintances, colleagues, coworkers, friends, and people that I interact with. And even though we have a number of differences, like if you were to stack up a column of like things that are totally different in our lifestyles and then things that are similar, yeah, the differences may far outweigh what we maybe have in common, but the things we have in common are very, very strong and very, very powerful. And to me, are much more of that cohesive material than all of the things that are different. So getting to your question, sorry, that was a very long response, but getting to your question of, of how we can do that or how we can better do that, I think is, just like I said, getting more uh, connected to what's going on in our community. So I, I think for starters, just being aware of Yes, there are other communities and other entities than ourselves. So what do those entities or groups do? Or, or what is just going on in this community that maybe I haven't really explored? You know, I encourage people to go to uh, uh, festivals or, or community events that uh, they've never heard of before. In fact, I don't know if you knew this or not, but every week I have a challenge where I go one place I've never been to before. 
Every week I find one new place I've never been to before and I visit it just, and it could be something really random like a, a bookstore on the way down to Milwaukee that I've never stopped at, but just see along the way. It could be uh, like the, uh, the Hmong New Year. One year I just wanted to, to see what it was. And it's fascinating how just exposing yourself to things right in your own backyard, things that are, are in our community or you know in our sphere, just having the wherewithal and willingness to say, you know what, I'm going to at least check it out. That is where I think we really can start breaking down some of those boundaries and, and start connecting. And finally, to your last piece of why that's important, you know, I think, um, again, if we can start viewing others, maybe, again, outside of our sphere or outside of our community, as uh, individuals that we at least have some connection with, that we at least share some uh, of the same values with, uh, that's where I think we can start overcoming some of these much bigger issues. You know, we're starting to talk about the the division that's going on in, in certain parts of society. If we start talking about the problem solving we're trying to achieve with, you know, these really, really big topics that we're, we're facing, um, instead of drawing these lines between the communities, we can say, you know what, I, I, I don't necessarily understand everything from your perspective, but I at least know some of you and, and I know that we have some of these similar fears or some of these similar goals, just by having that, that, that small bit of connectivity, I think is valuable in, in, again, overcoming a lot of these much more complex and much more uh, uh, issues that we're trying to tackle. Oh, yeah, I totally hear that and agree. I think it's important to remind one another that we're all human. We're all humans having a very human experience. And you're right. We all kind of have the same values. I mean, we, we all kind of want the same things, like to be seen, to be heard, to be loved. And if we go down to that foundation and connect there, there's compassion that's that that exists with other people opinions and other perspectives, but to know that each human is having their own human experience and just to be able to respect that, I think we can go pretty far. I think um, sometimes people get attached to their own perspective and belief system and to even be aware that there's another one out there can be really triggering uh, for people. And so I, I agree, I think when people go outside their comfort zone per se and and meet new people and meet people who they they don't normally interact with i think that does kind of blur the lines between separation of you know us and them or something and so i think that's really important to do for sure and just to have a more cohesive community um i think my brother was telling me about this once there's a i think it's called the acorn project i don't know if you've ever heard of this i've heard of that mm -hmm. Okay, he told me ba briefly about it once, and it really fascinated me how basically there was a, a group of people, they went around door to door, and they said, hey, is there something that you want to see done in your community? And they're like, oh, yeah, there's kind of like this junkyard down the road, like it's an eyesore and all this stuff. And they're like, well, do you want to join us? We're going to go around the neighbors and see whatever, what everybody else thinks. And then they just got together. This this eyesore has been there for I don't even know how long. And they finally got together and they got rid of it. And they're all happy about it. It's like, oh, it was that simple. You know, like these really little things that we can do if we just got together to just do them. I don't, I think people underestimate the power of grassroots community organization 
like really truly we are creators of a reality and we and numbers matter you know like we have power by numbers and yeah and so i just felt inspired to say that is there any way that you think people could serve really simply like if they're going to serve their community they're like where can i get started if i want to be a part of the community like something really simple well, I, I think just like you said, the grassroots approach is probably the best approach. Um, if I look at, you know, so for the audience who doesn't know, I served as an elected official for three terms uh, here in the city of Green Bay. And what I always remind people is that, you know, the people in your local office, your local community, they have the biggest impact on your day to day lives. So, you know, getting involved, in my opinion, is uh, just getting involved at that neighborhood level. You know, I know a lot of people are trying to tackle national issues uh, and there are some very valid issues. I, I definitely think that we should address some of the uh, issues when it comes to uh, climate and uh, the ecological challenges that we're facing on, on a grand scale. I think we definitely are still dealing with uh, uh, some employment and financial issues on a national scale. But really what it comes down to though is uh, just like you said, ma'am, just like you said, what are we capable of doing on the neighborhood level you know the the eyesore that you're talking about was a great example where people if they want to get involved is just start there what can i do at the local level that has a huge impact and it doesn't have to be anything big you know just simply i call it supporting those in the community that are already doing good things so if there are already people that are actively involved find out what they're doing how you can support and assist what you know what their initiatives are you know, there's a lot of great volunteer groups out there that are doing amazing things that would love to have your involvement. Other things you can do too that are really passive can be just simply, you know, going to the local school play and helping that program up by giving them your $5 to watch a play or going to a local sporting event. You know, even some of the uh, supporting some of the small, uh, you know, sponsored events locally, like the library sale, you know, stuff like that where you know, just keeping dollars local has a huge impact and it's not anything that requires a whole lot of effort in your part. It's kind of like the level one stuff. The level two stuff is more that hands-on approach, you know, uh, understanding the needs of the community. What can we do to fill those gaps? I think you know that I'm heavily involved with the uh, food pantries here in the community. Uh, that's something to, that in my opinion is really unfortunate that we as a society have plenty of food, uh, but there's a, a large segment that still fights food insecurity on a regular basis. So. To me, that's, I don't want to use the word an easy fix, but that's a way for myself and my circle of colleagues to help fight that issue uh, without, I would like to think, having to have some huge national campaign. I think we can do a lot of small stuff, small scale things that can still add a lot of value and have a lot of impact. And then I guess a third or kind of that, that next level is, um, you know, getting involved at a leadership or at uh, a much more organized level. So not just simply being a follower, but what can you do to lead some of these efforts to initiate change? It can be running for office. It can be being part of your neighborhood association, your church organization, um, helping out with uh, discussions just like this. You know, even if you wanted to uh, just help people understand the topics that are being uh, uh, explored right now, all has value at the community level. So just like I started off with, I think involvement with your community has a lot of different flavors, has a very wide range. And, you know, I think a lot of times we just paint the picture of, hey, if I'm trying to volunteer, be involved, it's a very, very narrow track. And that's not it at all. There's a lot of ways that we can make a difference and have an impact. Mm. 
That is so true. Makes it inspires me. I was like, there's more I could do in the leadership realm for sure. And it's so inspiring. So thank you. And yes, yes to all of it. There's a piece I wanted to mention when you said something about food insecurity. So I recently moved back to Wisconsin from Eugene, Oregon, and they do something that's really quite a cool thing that they do for the community. And it's called Gleaners and it's a grassroots. Have you heard of this? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Does Wisconsin have this? Uh, they're working on some programs like that. Yes. Ah, I think it's so cool. So it's, um, yeah, for those of you who do not, who do not know, there are lots of farmers in the area and farmers that have excess produce. Maybe they, they picked all their shares for the week that they're going to sell and to the CSA. And so groups of people can come and pick the leftovers, or there could be somebody who picks it all up and brings it to um, more of a central location. Maybe somebody has a shed in their yard and then that information of where to pick it up is shared with the group and it's all grassroots. And I've met lots of people who eat solely from gleaners and they'll also pick up from grocery stores that mm -hmm. it's going to go bad. Produce. Yep. Yeah, produce. I mean, sometimes there's milk, sometimes there's like eggs, sometimes there's like things from the deli and the bakery and all that stuff. So, I mean, you can get a range of food for free. It was just going to be wasted anyways. Cost anyway, yeah. And so I think that's awesome to have those kind of opportunities for people to get food. Because I think sometimes with folks who have don't have as much access to, to food, tend to get not the healthiest food or like people donate not the healthiest food. And so to have like local farmers who are able to donate is awesome. Or like, even if you have a, an abundant garden, which many Wisconsin gardeners do. And there's a lot to that piece too, though. It's like also to learn how to cook it and to make it taste good, you know? Cause I think that's, I've noticed that in working in the community gardens is like people might be really good gardeners and grow food, but to want to eat it because it tastes good is a whole nother lesson to learn. If I can mention something there, I'm glad you actually you, you talked about the fact that a lot of the food banks don't get the healthiest food options. That's why a program like Gleaners or the one that I compare it to a lot in Wisconsin is called Feeding uh, America. I'm sure you've probably heard of that. That's they've got that big office down by Appleton. And and you're right. Often people unfortunately equate lower quality food sometimes as what they give to the food pantry. They're thinking of, you know, more quantity than quality, which, which I fully understand. I'm not trying to shame anybody on what they give. I mean, everything has value, but, but to your point, a lot of times the food pantries aren't getting the best food options merely because of either cost or because of that sort of perception. And these are individuals that definitely need healthier food options. They probably don't have, like you mentioned, maybe access to a garden. They may have very limited means when it comes to going to the grocery store. And when it comes to food choices, you know, I could either buy, you know, uh, pasta or something that maybe isn't as healthy of an option that can feed and be a very, you know, robust meal for five people, or I can buy some, uh, uh, some greens and some vegetables, and maybe my kids don't eat that. So that could be a challenge too. So to your point, I, I agree with you. I think there's uh, two parts to that. One, finding healthier food options. And the second part is, is you know, uh, ensuring that not only they know how to cook it, but getting over this mindset that eating healthier has to be harder or like cooking and prepping 
healthy meals has to be like an hour long process versus, oh, I'll just throw on, you know, hamburger helper. Uh, and again, no shaming to anyone with hamburger helper. That was not my intent. But wouldn't you agree that sometimes the perception though, that, oh, if I want to eat healthier, oh, it's going to be more expensive and, oh, it's going to be harder to make. It's going to be, require more prep time. And, and then I, it's not even going to taste as good, which is not always the case. So wouldn't you agree that's also part of that process too, kind of overcoming that? Yes, yes. And I think food prep is great, you know, doing food prep on Sundays or something. So you can have if you have that time. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I think cooking any food, whether it's healthy or unhealthy will take time. And, (laughs) and, and uh, there's things that can help with that, like the Instapot. I'm a big fan of the Instapot. I am. And, you know, you just put a couple things in there, set it and forget it kind of thing. And then it's ready when you're when it goes, when the beeper goes off, it's pretty simple. I mean, same with crockpox too. You can make amazing healthy meals and in abundance um, that are super hearty, especially for the winter, like hot food in the winter, hot soups and stews, full of vegetables, so simple and quite abundant, you know? And so you can, you can do quite a bit and you can freeze some if you want to. And then if you don't have too much time to cook, then you always have something available. And I think that's really a big piece in eating healthy. Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree. I hear that a lot. And I don't think it's really that much more expensive. I think vegetables are actually quite cheap. <laughs> but I mean, well, I think it's a perception, you know, it, I, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I think eating healthy can definitely still be cost effective. I, I wonder too, and, and I'd love your opinion on this. I wonder if it's also sort of that perception from a convenience uh, standpoint as well. If I'm a working family and uh, if we're, you know, challenged on on trying to feed uh, a family, let's say three kids, there's something to be said about, well, I could go home, make this meal that cost-wise probably isn't overly uh, overly expensive, or gosh, McDonald's is on the way, I get a happy meal for each kid, and I'm done like that. And again, I'm not trying to say that these are bad parents or they're making bad decisions, it's just I have to recognize the reality of it sometimes, though, where... I know you and I are saying, oh, yeah, just make that meal. Whereas if they've had, you know, a long, stressful day or whatever the situation might be from a work perspective, I can fully understand why making that decision to make a meal from scratch is sometimes a really, really strong assumption and and difficult decision. So, well, and I agree. I I understand that. I don't I don't have kids, you know, so I, you know, it's hard for me to even compare or understand. But I could also say this that it sounds to me that it's a priority um like a, mm-hmm. a, a priority difference where it sounds like pr- convenience is more priority than health mm-hmm. and it's like yeah. what and, and that's okay if that's just to identify like that's somebody's priority and there's nothing wrong with that i also think that what we eat is you know preventative health care and so you know if we eat healthy chances are we're not going to end up in the hospital for other things. And so it's, for me, it's a priority because I know oh, how it's a great perspective though. Yeah, yeah, you're right from a preventative healthcare perspective. And, and I fully buy into that. And I think, again, that's more of just the educational element that we need to uh, sort of put out there for society. I even make the argument too, that um, what you eat can impact your study skills and academic capabilities because obviously if you're not eating food that you know helps maintain energy helps maintain growth um you know it can show in other areas and you know it's interesting too when we look at the challenges of some of these um populations that have struggled with poverty 
how much of it is just because they've always sort of had the the worst of the resources to work with. So, you know, I, I, again, I, I don't want to say that they're not trying. It's more a matter of like, if you give them the worst raw materials to try and build from, that can be just more, another obstacle that, you know, they're, they're trying to deal with to, to overcome some of the challenges of their situation or circumstance. So, so I think we neglect that. Oh my gosh, so true. That is such a good point where it's just a cyclical thing, you know? It's like to get out of that. I have a story I want to tell you because yeah, it, 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 it's I was so shocked. So when I worked in the community gardens, I met somebody in the neighborhood who did an after-school program and it was near one of the Green Bay community gardens and she was interested in um, being a part of it. And so she said, she told me the story that she had her own garden and she brought in cut up cucumbers after school at this after school program that she was running and offered them to the to the kids and they look at it and they're like they didn't think it was food they looked at it they're like that's not food so she ate it she's like it's a cucumber and she ate it and they're like no you put that on your eyes so like you know when they're watching movies and people yeah. are like sunbathing or whatever and they, or they're at the spa they just thought that you just put that on your eyes and i was like oh my gosh no this is like real food i was so blown away that these kids had no idea and yes they were um they were impoverished children and so i was like blown away blown away that there are kids out there who don't realize that vegetables like some vegetables are actual food you know and i just i really i was so shocked when i heard the story that it stood out in my mind i still like think about it from time to time and so <laughs> it's like it's such a simple thing and they're delicious with a little salt on it anyways <laughs> and so good for well, you and i'm hydrating. more of a pickled uh pickled and little onion little red onion cucumbers some pepper put that into a mash serve that with uh, some lamb but eh, that's just me so oh yum <laughs> I was wondering, do you have any ideas of community events that would be really beneficial that you haven't seen or anything that is in your mind that's like, oh, it'd be cool to create something like this, like something and why? Like, what do you think the people really need? Like when you say you got to get to know your community and find out the needs of the community, like that's not always easy to identify. Yeah, and, and you're right. That That is difficult because, you know, obviously I have my opinions and I haven't really, you know, polled what the community is looking for. But I know uh, a few things that, that I've heard of, at least circling around, is, um, you know, we've seen a really strong hit to the small businesses and small business vendors in our community over the last three years, not just because of the pandemic, but just because of some other economic forces. So uh, something that I think that really adds value to community is uh, a business incubator. Now, I know we have some sort of established and organized here in the area, and, and they're doing a good job. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that that void hasn't been filled, but I think, to me, a, a good business incubator, though, is actually uh, a group of mentors and some individuals that can just help guide people through that initial process. Because I think the, the most intimidating part of starting a business is the starting of the business. You know, you know what you do well, you know what your product or service is, but my goodness, the paperwork, the filing for it, um, just getting through sort of all the administrative hurdles, that's quite a bit. And then more importantly, somebody that can then guide you along the way. Uh, we used to have an organization like that. It was a bunch of uh, retired um, executives and business leaders. I don't think they're as active anymore, but I know when I have reached out to certain groups, you know, that's something that they would like. And 
it's often uh, groups that aren't, you know, regularly invited to like the Green Bay Chamber. They're not that type of small business. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking like multi-level marketing stuff. I'm talking about people that are, you know, looking to start, you know, unique and innovative businesses that like, um, like a food truck business where I've had a couple of people have asked me about, you know, like, hey, I, I want to get started in this, but there's really no information. There's no mentorship for it. I, I just don't know how to get this thing off the ground and rolling, no pun intended. So that's something that um, I think would add some value. A second thing too, uh, that I, again, this is maybe just me, but I know there's been some concern. We're not concerned, but but some questions in the community about, you know, what can we do from an art perspective? You know, we talk about uh, art spaces, you know, complementing our green spaces. And I think we've made some progress, but it's really been isolated to just a couple areas. But I'm sure you've traveled enough where you've seen what I call painted cities, where you have, you know, a lot of the commercial area around here is pretty dull and, and pretty drab. And I think uh, doing something like that uh, in terms of creating pop-up art or creating, you know, uh, just better art spaces improves the community in a number of ways. It increases tourism. It provides beautification to the city. Uh, it adds value to the neighborhood. Uh, it adds value to the organization itself. It provides a canvas for artists. Uh, it provides opportunities for young inspiring artists to see their work on display. Uh, and it's also something that you can actually highlight an event or festival around too. So something like that, again, that, that's some of the larger, grander things that we can do. Smaller level stuff though, hey, have a food drive. You know what, uh, help do something for the, the school that your kids go to, you know, anything that can help fill some of the needs that they have because there are gaps right now. So I know I just gave a list of a hundred things, but that, those are the types of things though, that I think people can start looking at of, all right, what can I do to get involved? You know, what are, what can I do to uh, help initiate change? I mean, gosh, I could go on forever on things that, you know, we could do at the local level, but I, I know we don't want to be here forever with that. So. Oh, I want to hear it all actually. <laughs> I love that you mentioned beautification of the neighborhood and artwork. Oh my goodness. So I recently went to like a parking garage over by Trader Joe's in Madison and it was, there was no art on the walls, but then I flashed back in my mind to, I was in Melbourne. So in Australia, there's a whole neighborhood where it, there's, it's, I want to say all of the walls on every building is just covered in art. And it is so cool. It is so cool. You're walking in an outdoor museum, essentially art museum. It's incredible. And especially in the parking garages where it's like, you know, people park there every day, but to see something inspiring on the wall, like a Martin Luther King Jr. quote, oh, happy birthday, it's coming up. Or, you know, just whatever, awesome art of like, aliens or cool stuff you know i i thought about like what if our whole yeah what we saw was art like you think about even buses like if a bus kind of looked like a caterpillar or something or you know we just had like really interesting looking things that normally look kind of dull and drab and they're just like gray or whatever but you can bring color to it and how that would affect our minds and the way we perceive the world and maybe even tap into more creativity within us which could then help in many ways in our life and i think that's so important i love what you said about business too because it's so important like we do vote with our dollars and so you're right. When we keep the money circulating in the community and all these businesses can thrive, basically 
it's like if you especially if you like what how what the person does and like what they believe in the world and how they spend their money i mean you're giving them money so it's like you know it's really important to recognize like is this is this the person's hands i want to put money in like i do i like what this person does do i want to see more of this in the world i like that actually if i can comment too on the uh creativity side uh with having just a more art-based community or or more emphasis on beautification you know i think it also is something that um really appeals to the young professionals that we're trying to bring to the area as well because it shows that this community is a little bit more i i always hesitate to use the word more progressive because they always always think i'm thinking political but it's really just more that we are a community that shows value in uh how we perceive or look at our our city beyond just simply the walls themselves that we want to promote creativity uh we want to promote you know beautiful green spaces that uh people want to go out and enjoy and when we create spaces where people want to go out and enjoy guess what that creates a community that that brings people together when they want to share spaces together that's what makes people more comfortable with each other, what makes people more willing to have that conversation with somebody that maybe looks different or that they haven't ever interacted with before. One of my favorite uh, stories is when I was traveling out in uh, Switzerland, as I was walking through the uh, city, uh, I noticed that they really didn't have like backyards. And, and I think that's a very common European thing where most European uh, homes don't have spacious backyards like we do in the United States. In the United States, we've got these huge yards, you know, lawn parties, all that stuff. So what happens is everybody, if they want to enjoy green space and kind of just enjoy being outside, they go to these big common green spaces. And I remember walking this one green space that had to be, oh my gosh, almost two miles long. And it was just lined with people and they're all just sitting out and having casual conversations and going to ice cream stands. And I know it's, you know, Switzerland and Europe, much different culture. So I'm not trying to say that that has to be imported here, but it just showed me though, the value of having those shared green spaces because that was the community that was the community out enjoying this space seeing each other not being just confined to their homes and their backyards you know and and i think when a community has more of those spaces it just naturally brings people together mm. totally yep i love our green spaces for sure that's really interesting because hmm because i think people do love their their yards you know especially I think in America, <laughs> there's a there's like a yard pride a little bit, and we only use like ten percent of our lawn anyways. But any yeah. that's a whole other thing. So yeah, and in Wisconsin the, is less. So <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, plant the pollinator gardens. It's really important for the, the bees and all that stuff mm. too. Um, I'm with you, yes. So that's really interesting though. When there is a lack of space in your own yards, people are then forced to be in the public spaces and then maybe interact with people they don't normally see, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. And then I think about just perspective in general, like me and you, we, we love meeting new people. We're curious about things. We're interested. And I just feel like maybe that's not how some people are though. Like some people, you know, they like, they're used to things the way they are. They like it that way. It's comfortable and it's interesting. And I always want to challenge them to be like, oh, well, you know, what if you did do something outside your comfort zone? What if you did something that you've never done before? Like, how could that shift your reality? And maybe that's scary. You know what I mean? I can see how that's scary for people. And yeah. And well, I was looking at it from the perspective too of, you know, what if I followed their reality for a bit? And let's say I, you know, never ventured out of the house for a month. 
oh, wait, we did that. It was called the pandemic. So, <laughs> you know, that's the thing is it's all about um, our comfort levels. And I think uh, when we're talking about involvement in the community, that's one of the reasons why I emphasize though, involvement in the community doesn't necessarily have to be all of these extroverted and hands-on activities. There's, there's multiple ways to do it. And I think uh, you're bringing up a good point though about, you know, getting people out of their comfort zone. To me, sometimes just getting out of people's comfort zones is willing to have that conversation or have that uh, um, exposure to somebody that may, maybe wouldn't necessarily have that. And that goes for all mindsets. I mean, I, I always try to make sure that I interact with people that I don't necessarily share all of their beliefs and all of their leanings because it's healthy for me. If I can just share a really quick uh, story or, or example here is, you know, I was talking to uh, this individual about problem solving. And it's interesting when we only rely on ourselves to solve problems, we only have our own set of tools. That's all we have. Whatever's in our garage or whatever's in our basement, that's the only set of tools we have. When we start interacting with others and talking to others, well, we may never want to use those tools ever, but at least we know that they exist. And there's that possibility that for whatever it is that we're trying to resolve or whatever it is we're trying to fix, man, maybe they have a tool that I've never even seen or heard of before that could actually help out with this problem. And even though I will never want to own that tool and may never ever need it again beyond this one situation, exposing ourselves to other ways of thinking and other tools and other solutions out there just makes us that much more well-rounded and that much, I think, smarter when it com comes to problem solving. Um, and uh, I, I think it helps them in that same way too, where they can say like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize you had those tools that can actually help me understand things better or fix things in, in a much more healthy way. Because if we, there's a quote I love, if we continue to try and problem solve with the same thinking that we use to create the problem, we're never really gonna solve the problem, so. Ooh, amen, Mr. Danzinger. I love bad, that. <laughs> that was beautiful. Well, you're talking about skills and tools, skills and gifts that each individual person has. And when they bring that to the table, you're right, we can solve some big problems. And this is why diversity is so important in organizations, in problem solving. Absolutely. I mean, that's why it's so special for people to come together and share what they have to offer. Cause we all have wonderful things to offer. People don't even recognize some of the things that they have to offer. And I just want people to know that right now that yes, you have something that's very special that only you have to offer, you know? And like, and if you feel inspired to, to change something in your community for the better, then go out and give it a try. Like it's worth it. You know what I mean? It's totally worth it. And you never know what could happen. What could come of that? It could be far more grandiose than you could have ever imagined. So it's really inspiring what you're saying, Brian. And I agree with you. I think it's really important for us to collaborate with others and utilize others' tools. Even if we don't need it in our own lives, it could be beneficial for the whole. Well, and, and something else I always like to add to that too is, you know, um, this even goes more towards changing or, or oh my gosh, I don't want to say manipulating, that's, that's not the word, but shaping and helping provide perspective to those that maybe disagree with us, you know, by exposing them to how we came up with our, our point of thinking or how we 
came up with our solutions can make them a little bit more compassionate and a little bit more open-minded to those conversations. I'll give you one really quick example. Um, you know, when I was on city council, there was uh, a vote about providing, um, you know, healthcare access to domestic partnerships, because at the time, you know, uh, same-sex marriages weren't a thing. So the next best option was providing healthcare services and solutions to domestic partnerships to employees, you know, of the city. And it was a very heated discussion. In fact, you know, back when I was on the council, which wasn't that long ago, uh, that resolution got defeated. People did not want, you know, people uh, in domestic partnerships to have the same access to um, services and to the same benefits. But it was interesting because there was one individual in particular where uh, he was, you know, very adamant against it. He did not think it, for a multitude of reasons, which I won't get into, did not think it was the right decision for the city to provide that service. But after just simply having a conversation with him and expressing why I came to my decision, um, it actually really influenced how he looked at the problem. Now, it didn't change his beliefs. Now, let me clarify that. He still held some very strong inherent beliefs on what he believed was, you know, morally right or wrong. And again, I won't get into that right now, but it changed his vote because he thought, you know what, the way that you came up with that decision, the way that you are describing the problem, you know what, I never thought of it that way. Because what he said at the meeting was, I never thought about what if my daughter came out and told me that I'm you know, in a domestic partnership. I never thought about that influencing or impacting somebody in my family. And that changed how he viewed this decision just because we had that conversation. And I think that's what healthy conversation can do. And, and again, when I say healthy conversation, it's not belittling his, belittling his beliefs. You know, he and I still have differences of opinion, but we can have really strong, constructive and meaningful conversations where we don't talk about why we think the other person is wrong. We merely spend time explaining how we come up to the decision that we had and can the other person at least you know, recognize or acknowledge some of the steps that we took. Because to your point of we all want the same things, that's how it is in almost all community decisions, in all politics even, or all representative governments. We all want the same things. We want, you know, safety. We want, you know, a future for our kids. We want economic opportunity. And we want to feel like that we have our personal freedoms. That's not the debate. The debate is how we get there. We all want the same destination. It's just what road do we take? And that's okay to have that discussion. It's completely legitimate to have that discussion. What's, what the problem is, is that we spend far too much time pointing at what we think is wrong versus actively discussing what we think we can do to actually get to that destination. And that's, that's where we struggle. So sorry, that was a really long response to your thing. But that to me is one of the values of having those conversations and reaching out to opinions or people that maybe, you know, have very, very different beliefs than us. Yeah. Wow. That was beautiful. Well said. And thanks for sharing that. I, I see that. I really see that. And I often see in community politics or what have you about making decisions. I think as a collective, we have this kind of bad habit of focusing on the things that we don't want too much too much so oh, yeah. much so that we can't even get beyond that it's like it's little it's literally just a pity party like oh 
woe is our life. Like this is what we have to deal with. It's like, actually, what can we do about it? And I love that about you, Brian. I think that's my favorite thing about you is like you are solution focused and we need more people who are solution focused and open to compromise. Like you said, we can't take so many different paths. I mean, it has to be, sometimes we have to jump on, on the bus and, and ride together, you know? And so, um, I think that question, why, why do you think it has turned into such a difficult environment to reach compromise? Cause I agree with you. I think compromise is key, but, but boy, it's really been difficult for people to be willing to, uh, have a conversation about compromise. Do you think it's because people just fear too much that if they compromise, they're tossing away their beliefs. I, I guess I'm curious from your opinion, because the art of compromise seems to have really dissipated <laughs> over the last few years. I'd love to know what your thoughts are as to why that's happened. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a lot of what you said. Like, I think it hurts. I will, I'll say the ego when if we don't win, like, you know, it's like, oh, you know, we're very competitive people. And so it's like, mm -hmm. we want to have our way. We want to win the argument or win the thing. And, um, but that's not how partnerships work. That's not how communities work. Like we have to work together and have these discussions and vote, you know, like that's why we have votes and stuff like that to see what the majority kind of agrees with. And it, we can't always win, you know, we can learn to understand. And I think people get too attached to thoughts, to beliefs, to emotions. It becomes our identity. So it's almost like if we have to compromise our identity, like that's really threatening to people. And so I, what I admire about you, Brian, is that like for you, just having that conversation with somebody, you're able to like kind of like broadens people's minds and perspectives because you don't have that strong attachment. You're really... I think I see that your goal is for what's going to be the betterment of the community. I see that with you, but some people think like, what is the betterment for me? You know what I mean? It's like a, a it's a shift in perspective and a shift in the goal, I guess, the end goal or the benefit, like who's going to benefit. There's so much to it. I would love to like dive into this even further. Like, what do you think about compromise and why it's so challenging for people? A little bit of what you said too, I think it is just hard for people to admit um, that maybe their belief system or maybe their perspective um, is a little bit flawed. And, uh, you know, I'm the first to admit that I am by no means the smartest person in the room. I realize that there are definitely things that I don't know about a lot of the problems that are out there. And for me, you know, I want to ask as many people as I can about their perspectives and their um you know ideas for how we can resolve stuff but notice i emphasized ideas not not opinions or thoughts on what's wrong what are their ideas for solutions and, and i think that mindset just asking questions in that way helps compromise more so than just saying what don't you like and i, and I know you've mentioned that i think that's a really really powerful statement to make a second part of that too is you're right it's the identity piece you know the identity uh even the identity politics where i think we naturally presume that we have to believe certain things in a very rigid way. And we make this belief that, well, I have to believe this way on every single instance or occurrence of whatever this problem is. And I'll give you one example. So, you know, let's take the example of, um, you know, decriminalization of marijuana. All right. And I know that's a discussion that's been going around through our nation right now. And I have my beliefs on it. I have my views on it that I think are, are very layered and very 
you know, very complex based on just my background. But what happens is I think we try to make every single decision, this binary decision of either, yes, it's legal or no, it's not. And there's no way of kind of coming up with a solution that says, well, you know, we definitely want to make sure that whatever solution we come up with does not, you know, burn down society. But at the same time, we have an incarcerated population that, you know, is serving five to 15 years because of maybe, you know, a couple ounces of, of an illegal substance that was not intended to ever be distributed or sold. You know, there's got to be something that is not entirely A and entirely B. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, yes, all drugs are legal. No, 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 that's not all I'm saying. At the same time, anybody that's even caught within 100 meters of marijuana has to go to prison for life. No, that's not the solution either. But don't you agree that that's sometimes why compromise is hard is because we have turned every argument into that binary A or B. It has to either be this or it has to be this. And if I sway from it, I am showing weakness to my tribe, not even to myself but to the tribe of, of who I'm associated with. And that's that's a hard thing to overcome. I'm still trying to crack that nut. I don't know what the solution is to that, but I'm working on it. Oh, that's so true. It does seem to be in those extremes. And that's I, I see that more and more in our society. It's almost like it's the it's two sides of the same coin, you know, just really extreme thinking where it's like, you're right, it's gotta be some in the gray area. It's like, can we have a little bit of this and a little bit of this? It's, it's fascinating, too, because, you know, just like you mentioned, everything has not not everything. I mean, you know, there, there are definitely some very cut and dry things. But a lot of the arguments that we're dealing with today have uh, a very gray area. You know, I mean, they have things that are so dependent on specific cases or so dependent upon the circumstances surrounding whatever we're dealing with. You know, I, I think that's, again, part of the challenge is we we never want to acknowledge that there's anything that deviates from the argument we're trying to focus on because then it just adds complexity to it. And once we start getting into more complex arguments, people kind of turn off a little bit. They're like, well, I don't want to talk about that. that that's, that's not what I want to focus on. I just want to focus on this very simple, you know, yes or no answer. Uh, and fortunately, that's not how a lot of the, you know, the, the situations or the, the issues we're talking about uh, are, are presented. I have my own thoughts and beliefs, obviously, on climate change and uh, some of the uh, environmental and ecological challenges we're having. But I fully acknowledge it's not just a matter of, well, shut down all gas cars. It's never that easy. And it, and it shouldn't be that easy. But again, you know, people sometimes feel that, well, that's the only solution or the planet burns. And it's like, again, it's such a much more complex and nuanced argument than that. So. I wonder if the reason why it's challenging for people to have complex arguments or make complex decisions, does it stem from the way we are taught in education? Mm -hmm. So I wonder That's if true. it's if like if we were able to educate people in a way that they're able to kind of, yeah, critical thinking is really big, like critical think and and be able to solve complex problems. I'm sure that there's some sort of something, you know, somebody out there knows of some sort of education <laughs> thing that we yeah, can teach I'm, people at a younger age where it's like, you're right with more people in the world and more things in the world, technologies and, and natural disasters and environmental issues. Like it's going to take 
brains that can handle these kind of complex decision-making and conversations. And so does that mean we need to shift how we are educating the children? That's a really good question. And, um, you know, I, I do think that we need to reframe how we tackle a lot of these questions. I wonder if it's partly, though, that we also elect decision makers and uh, we have elected officials that, and I don't want to insult them and say they're not critical thinkers, but they're definitely hamstrung at times by either the party politics that they are you know, designated to, to follow or the people that are funding their, their elections. You know? So you know, our political system is very dependent upon donations and uh, campaign finance. So as much as we would like to think that doesn't matter, I, I personally think it does. I mean, I, I don't think it's bold making that statement that you know there's definitely influence in the decision-making process that is not representative of our voice. So I think that is definitely one piece of it. So, so, so the people that we elect, I wouldn't argue so much that they're not critical thinkers. Some of them are not, for sure. But I think it's also because they they are already bound within a very narrow lane of decision-making just based on how we elect them and, and the process of getting them elected. The second part of that then too is, as you mentioned, are we improving or emphasizing critical thinking skills? I don't know if we are in, in our educational system. Uh, again, that, that goes way beyond me. I, I mean, I do teach at the college level, but that's already at the level where I kind of have that expectation that they're critical thinkers and they know how to problem solve. I would agree with you. I think that's a skill you need to, to build very, very early because that influences how you approach so many things in your life. And you're right. We have so many tools right now. We have got so many resources and so many um, sources of knowledge where the pieces are there, I think, to help solve some of these some of these issues. It's just a matter of, are we willing to commit the effort to actually making those decisions and actually solving those problems and understanding too. And here's, sorry, I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but something else too is we also have to remind ourselves that change and um, making these decisions is not a fast process. And I think that's the other part that's changed over the last few decades is that we expect change to happen immediately. And we have to acknowledge that change is incremental. So again, the speed and pace of society is accelerated and people, when they see a problem, again, especially when it's binary, it's either this or this, they expect, well, we should solve it tomorrow. And when it doesn't happen, we just get more frustrated. So I, I will leave it with that. And I don't know if you have anything you wanna to add to that piece, but. Mm, I might just add one more thing. I see how it's really important for people to find out where they best fit in the world. So mm. when you when you think about people in office and if they're they're unwilling to go into the complex discussions because they're just seeing it as a black and white i don't think that they are fit for that position did they actually want to be in that position or did they feel like they had to based on their parents thinking that way like i, I think about people's desires like are people's desires the, the desires in their life are the, what they're following the beliefs that they're having are they actually their own or is it of societies is it of a teacher or is it of somebody else who says they should do this because that's what they wanted to do or something it's like 
I think it's really important for people to really tap into what it is like, what do I on like, what am I truly good at? Like, what are my skills? And what do what are my gifts? Like, what do I have to offer? And to combine those things, I think when people get so in touch with like, truly what it is, how they're meant to serve, that they're able to fit into this beautiful, complex web of reality. And it could be just so much more of a cohesive environment to live in. I think I think sometimes like even teachers I've had teach, I'm sure you've had teachers in the past where it's like, I don't know if teaching is your thing. You know what I mean? And it's like, that's okay. Yeah, it's just interesting, you know, where where I think it's good to try things out, but it, when it's really not working, I think that's why it's really important to know how to elect your officials or like to ask the right questions to make sure that they really are going to make the best decisions. And like if they are open to other perspectives, open to understanding the needs of others, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot there and it's like to have the kind of – um I don't, I don't know if I'm saying this correctly. Well, like I don't want awareness, I think yeah. to know if this is the right, you know, career option for you. And, and I'd like to add something. I, I think that's why I emphasize that whoever is an elected official or in those uh, areas of governance, they have to be critical thinkers because there's no way I can expect you to be a, an expert in military decision-making and um, budgetary finance on a trillion dollar level on um, jobs uh, development and economic growth. And also on technology. I mean, I always make the joke that, you know, these people that are making laws for technology and for um, Internet uh, usage in America barely know how to use their phone. And that's not meant to be an insult to them because I think they're idiots. That's not the case at all. It's just simply they just don't have a technology background. That's that's just simply it. They didn't grow up in the field. They didn't study in the field. So I'm expecting them to know how to ask the right questions, to take information that they receive and hopefully percolate that into a, a good decision. And that's why they need those critical thinking skills because they don't have the technical background that is required for, for some, of these, uh, some of these areas of decision-making. But to your other point though, I wonder though if people you're right. People make their career decisions not so much because of what they feel that they inherently want to do, what they're passionate about. But yes, either because it's instilled upon them by other individuals, their parents, or or they're a surrogate for something else. Also, though, too, because there's a the financial aspect of it. I know a lot of people pursue careers, not because they like what they do, but because it seems to have the highest financial benefit or the highest financial potential or ceiling. And then the third part of it is I think people get stuck in a career because either A, they need the money, and if they leave that job, they don't have the certainty that they're going to find another, or B, that they are in a position that they greatly dislike, but they also know that it's safe, and that they're, again, remember you were talking about people that don't like change, people that don't like to go outside of their comfort zone? It's safe. They, they don't like what they're doing, but it's safe, and they don't have to risk anything. Mm -hmm. by doing this job. They don't have to learn new skills. They don't have to worry about making new network connections. They don't have to worry about relearning the office dynamics. They hate what they do, but it's safe. And that's probably part of it, I think, as to why, as you mentioned, there are folks that you acknowledge and, and observe and you say like, oh yeah, this maybe isn't cut out for you. Why are you still doing this? It's probably one of those few reasons, so. 
Absolutely. And I, and I understand that. And I, I encourage people to break those chains though. Like, oh, yeah. and it comes with awareness and it's so cyclical. Like, yeah, people who don't like their jobs and they go home, they watch violent television to like suppress the fact that they don't like what they do and drink alcohol to also suppress the fact that they don't like what they do. And yeah, it's, oh, it's like when I think about that reality, it's, it's cringeworthy, but I mean, I know it's a reality for some people. And if I can encourage people to follow their dreams in any way, <laughs> I would love to do that, you know? <laughs> Wouldn't you agree, though, that uh, part of people actually having the bravery to follow their dreams is having those positive relationships around them, though, that not only support that, but, you know, can actually encourage people to to do that. Because, you know, how many times have we probably observed where somebody will say, you know, I'd really like to do this this or this and somebody says oh man that's risky i don't know there's there's hardly anybody makes it you know like one of my friends who's a who's a writer you know he's an author and uh you know a lot of people told him that's a horrible decision you know you're not going to make it you know hardly anybody does and by his own admission he is by no means a million dollar writer but he has a career doing it he loves it it's a modest uh, existence for him but it's one that he he chose and he he enjoys it. And, you know, I, I think the hardest part for him to overcome was the fact that the people in the circle didn't really have faith that this was a good decision. So I think that's part of it, too, is do people in that circle encourage, like you mentioned, that ability to break those chains and ability to, to fight that uh, uh, fear factor of, of going outside your comfort zone? Oh, it makes you want to start support groups. <laughs> well, Think about yourself, ma'am. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm speculating that when you decided to kind of take your sabbatical and your journey, which I think was incredible for your growth, which I think was great for you from a uh, self-healing perspective and an awareness perspective. And darn it, I'll even say from a philosophical perspective, like how much you grew in terms of just understanding the world around you. I'm going to speculate. There were people that probably said, why are you doing that? You know, like that seems like a really foolish endeavor. And, uh, you know, you had to kind of overcome that fear uh, and that that, you know, willingness to to take that leap and knowing that the net would appear. So totally. Well, that was a whole journey itself. Really, Hawaii changed my life, living in Hawaii and being exposed to meditation and getting more in touch with my emotions and awareness around so many things. I don't think it would have mattered what anybody would have said. It was like it was like my heart was just like you need to travel you your, your soul is like yearning for it your soul is craving it more than you've ever felt it's a, when you have that like soul nudge i think it, you cannot almost. ignore it what it was like a hunger almost it was a hunger it was it was a hunger and i was so hungry for it that i don't think it mattered it wouldn't matter what anybody said and luckily i don't have too many naysayers in my reality and sometimes actually i sometimes i wonder what my life would be like if there were you know like because sometimes i hear those stories where it's like everyone said i couldn't do it and so i showed them and then they did it you know what i mean and so like sometimes sometimes when you have naysayers in your life they can encourage you to take the leap of faith um, very good perspective i you know what i neglected to think about that so yeah that's a really good perspective to remind us of yeah, Brian, is there anything else you want to share with us before? No, I know we're over our time, but thank you very much for the opportunity. And uh, again, I really appreciate the conversation. And it's always inspiring and enchanting having a, a discussion with you. So, 
Likewise. And, I, and next time, I really want to talk about unpopular opinions. It's a scary one, I think. But I oh, think no, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk about that because I think <laughs> I think everybody is everybody's experienced it in some fashion. And, uh, you know, I, I love the idea of exploring unpopular opinions because I, I'll admit I would love to get more of your input on that razor thin edge of when does an unpopular opinion become an insulting opinion? And, you know, when, where, where does that line get drawn? And I, I don't know if there's really a good concrete answer for that, but I'd love to explore, uh, explore in a little more detail. So. Oh, me too. Now I'm all excited about it. Yeah. That's a really <laughs> good point though. Well, we talked about this before about people getting offended and it's like, I am one to not really understand that. Like I don't get offended and it's like, I, cause I just don't think, there's anything to be offended about. You know what I mean? Like people have their own opinions and they just have their own opinions. They might be, you might not agree with them. You might think they're dumb, but it's like, it's just an opinion. You know, I think people take things too personally is what it is, but you're right. That's a really good point. What is the edge? All right. We're, this is, this is uh, going to be part two, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I appreciate you working around your schedule. I know we had to uh, modify the time a couple times, but uh, again, it's been an honor chatting with you and, uh, uh, again, thank you to your audience for indulging us with our with our 60 minutes of hopefully something valuable. <laughs> oh, it's so valuable. I appreciate you so much, Brian Danzinger. You inspire me more than you could ever know. And I'm sure you'll inspire all the listeners as well, because that's what you do. And you you bring up such amazing points to think about, to delve deeper into and just inspire to be a part of the community. And I just I really appreciate everything that you do. There's great people out there. So uh, again, thanks for, for the opportunity. Thank you for tuning into the Sacred Portal today. I hope you had an enjoyable time. I am currently offering Beyond Quantum Healing sessions, which can be really powerful and you're able to access information that you have been seeking. I offer other spontaneous workshops and classes on meditation, movement, breath work. Keep your eyes out for that. I also am offering one-on-one -on -one coaching and mentorship. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Abby Rose Wolf. And as always, journey well, dear friends. <laughs>